This is K-A-Y-T, Gina Alexandria. The gospel is on the radio at 88.1. Call up somebody. Tell them it's going to be all right. K-A-Y-T. Got the gospel transmitting all day. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today to call on the highest power of the universe to bring peace and prosperity upon his people. The God that we serve is a deliverer and a strong tower. He is a God of stability, a God of substance, a God of authority, and a God who can solve all of our issues. So today, establish your people with deliverance, deliverance from the unemployment line, Deliverance from food stamps and welfare. Deliverance from the inner city housing and project living. Deliverance from drug addiction. Deliverance from social injustice. Deliverance from drive-by shootings. Deliverance from illiteracy and homelessness. Deliverance from racism and bigotry. Deliverance from hatred and violence. Deliverance from the doom of demonism. Deliverance from sin and seduction. Deliverance from helplessness and despair. Authenticate us with the principles of your power so that we can dwell in your power today. excited to introduce to you Deliverance Today Ministries. Our world is full of trouble and we have reached a point where it is time to bring to the people of God the truth of God. We are headquartered in Shreveport, Louisiana and are connected to churches worldwide. Each week we desire to come into your life with a message of deliverance that will prepare you for heaven. We invite you to join our prayer line and zoom into a closer walk with God every morning from 6 to 7 a.m. Central Standard Time. 
we have health professionals, spiritual counselors, and Christian aid workers in Louisiana and Texas. And we'll also extend our resources to help you with social, spiritual, financial, and mental needs wherever you are.
We continue our message called Eyewitnesses. Luke chapter 1 tells us, from the beginning, we were eyewitnesses and servants. In case of every theory involving statements of fact, proof is impossible, for new information may always turn up to disprove previous findings. That's why we don't trust our preliminary issue of witnesses. But our second diversion is through legal proofs. Legal reasoning operates on probabilities, not possibilities, or the preponderance of evidence. In most civil actions, it's supposed to be evidence beyond reasonable, not beyond all doubt in criminal matters. The term is proof to a moral certainty beyond reasonable doubt. In short, the accused is sent to prison or even executed, not according to absolute certainty, but according to the preponderance of evidence. Moral certainty is not absolute certainty. There's always the remote possibility that the defendant may be innocent, but it is the highest level of certainty attainable in the area of legal truth. If the court tried for a higher legal proof, it could not be because truth would be unattainable. But our last diversion is through historical proofs. We have reached the third area in which probability plays a critical role in determining and sustaining a truth which concerns historical facts. We know Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon Bonaparte, Julius Caesar, Elijah Muhammad, Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, and Martin Luther King are all dead and resting in their graves. Each of these icons has a grave and a gravestone. Their excavated bones give us probable certainty that the story and memory of these figures are both true and correct. We were not there when each of these stalwarts expired, but we believe with certainty that all of them lived and died. How do we know that the Mayflower landed at Plymouth Rock in 1620? How do we know that Joan of Arc was burned at the stake in 1431? How do we know that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree? How do we know that Columbus crossed the Atlantic in 1492? How do we know that Annie Oakley was the best shooting girl in the West? How do we know that Hitler was a vegetarian maniac who tried to destroy the world as we would like to know it? None of these events can be confirmed by science because they are not repeatable and observable events. Yet we believe all to be historical facts. Why? Because they are sustained by probability of evidence. Once again, as in science and law, historical conclusions are not dependent upon absolute certainty, as in mathematics of formal logic. However, as Habermas and Myth have stated, how do responsible historians work? They adhere to two important rules. First, they are unbiased in their approach. They do not allow their own presuppositions to influence their investigation or their conclusions. Second, in order to determine fact from fiction, 
historians seek the best evidence available to support or disavow a particular event. What kind of evidence is best? There is only one kind that is reliable enough to determine beyond reasonable doubt the factuality of any historical event. Only prime source evidence that is first-hand testimony matters. This entails recorded documentation by qualified and honest eyewitnesses to the event. If observers are psychologically sound and do not disqualify themselves by contradiction, inaccuracy, opposing evidence, or obvious bias, their testimony is considered valid to substantiate truth. The most convincing and irrefutable historical events rely on this kind of documentation. Can this be applied to Christianity? Absolutely. I will illustrate this with an example. All Christian truth claims ultimately rest with the reliability of the Bible. What we know about the nature of God, the deity of Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit, the means to salvation, the answers to prayer, all other Christian truths rest squarely on the authenticity of Scripture. If we cannot sustain the Bible's authority and reliability, Christianity crumbles. It is the reliability of the Bible that sets Christianity apart from all other religions. To the realist, bones are used for history. Bones are needed for science. Bones are necessary for legal evidence. We have found Napoleon Bonaparte's bones. We have located Julius Caesar's bones. Men have preserved Elijah Muhammad's bones. The grave holds Martin Luther King's bones. There are bones to remind us that King Tut lived on this earth. There are bones to mark the pharaohs in their tomb. There are bones to mark the memory of Confucius. There are bones to mark the spot where Benjamin Franklin's remains lay. There are bones to mark the memory of Ronald Reagan. However, there are no bones in Joseph's tomb to mark the memory of Jesus Christ. There are no bones to map the history and the mind of the mighty Magi who once marked this troublous world. There are no bones to record the scientific data that will give us a carbon footprint to reveal the age, time, and space of the one who is called Emmanuel. There are no bones to justify the legal inquiry as to the birth certificate, location, and cause of death, the time and the legal data that will record the legend of the Lord Jesus. There are no bones to qualify the history of Jesus. So one might wonder, how do we know if there is truth to the legend of the Lord Jesus? The Bible declares in John chapter 20, beginning with verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. 
I want you to know today that the word also declares in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he has said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you in Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. These texts have been shared by the eyewitnesses to which day is the Sabbath. For after the death of Jesus, these texts have been shared by the eyewitness to which day is Easter Sunday because the Bible says that the Sabbath was over when Easter Sunday was beginning, these texts have been shared by an eyewitness to an empty grave. These texts have been shared by an eyewitness to a risen Lord. These texts have been shared by an eyewitness to the fact that we are to be witnesses to his death and his resurrection. The Bible is a historical document that is the revelation of God. Its authors are dead and much of its contents are not only fantastic, but impossible to prove with mathematical certainty. No one can prove Jesus' miracles or the deity of Christ and creation. We do not prove with mathematics. We prove with faith. How does historical evidence prove the reliability and authenticity of the Bible? It does so in two ways. First, it reveals positive evidence, the same methods of historical investigation used to determine the authenticity of any ancient document can be applied to the Bible. The results of this investigation demonstrate beyond doubt that the Bible is completely accurate and trustworthy. With regards to its textual composition, its historical, scientific, and prophetic claims and its geographical and cultural descriptions are clear. Here are a few examples. Archaeology has verified almost all of the historical events, the peoples and nations and cities and customs portrayed in Scripture. Many of these facts were once rejected by skeptics because for centuries their existence was only mentioned in the Bible. Likewise, hundreds of Old Testament prophecies have been borne out by history. Most noteworthy is the dozens of prophecies that predict the coming of life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Altogether, these and other historical evidences are powerful and compelling proof to the historicity of the Bible. What conclusion can we draw in every area in which it can be checked out 
the Bible is proven to be totally reliable. There is no logical reason to reject this. The key here is that the Bible's subjective truths do not attempt to stand alone. They rest squarely and firmly on a foundation of verifiable facts. Second, historical investigation provides negative evidence. When the same techniques of historical investigation used to verify the Bible are applied to other religious documents, the non-Christian documents are found to be spurious. Much of their historical, scientific, and prophetic claims are false. Indeed, all non-Christian religions are conspicuous by the absence of historical evidence. Ultimately, non-Christian religions fall back on personal experiences and the unverified so-called revelations of their religious leaders. For no other religious book in the world passes the test of objective historical investigation that the Bible does. As such, Christianity attains the highest level of certainty available in the area of historical proof. After the research of scientific proof and legal proof and historical proof, we have become blinded by the issues of social secularism. We are moved by the mesmerizing mystical meanderings of mindless idiots who profess themselves to be wise but are foundationless fools. I've got a question for you today. Oh, say, can you see? Time and time again in Acts, the disciples mentioned that they were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of what they were proclaiming. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. We are witnesses of this, says Peter, for Peter stated as he proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The apostolic preaching in Acts seeks to persuade its listeners, in part at least, by the claim that this preaching comes from eyewitnesses who were proclaiming what they themselves had seen. Luke also anticipated that the eyewitness testimony that lies behind his twofold work would provide additional assurance to his readers about the truthfulness of the Christian teachings they received. This eyewitness testimony, along with the Spirit's witness, would enable them to know what they had been taught was divine truth. John referred to himself as an eyewitness. All of the twelve, the seventy disciples, and the woman who accompanied Jesus and his disciples and ministered to them were eyewitnesses more and less from the beginning. In contrast, Luke, Paul, and Timothy might be called earwitnesses for their knowledge of the life and ministry of Jesus was derived from others mostly. But this apparent handicap, however, in no way diminishes the value of their testimony, for they received their information both through instruction from eyewitnesses and by divine revelation. Let's look into eyewitnesses' testimony. For in a court case, what kind of evidence is most condemning so far as establishing the probability of guilt? Although circumstantial evidence can play a significant role, by far the most important evidence 
a prosecutor can muster is eyewitness testimony. A good attorney desires only to present credible testimony to achieve this objective and to satisfy a righteous judge. It is imperative that we weed out speculation, human conjecture, and false theories and hypotheses. Discombobulated notions and any non-factual discovery. Today, my brothers and sisters, we need to have eyewitness testimony. We need to talk to people who talk to Jesus. We need to pray with people who prayed with Jesus. We need to learn from people who were connected to Jesus. For when we see in the word that Jesus is real, we know that it comes from eyewitness testimony. Oh, my brothers and sisters today, have you seen him? Have you felt him? Do you know him? Learn to trust him today. If you've enjoyed this message by Pastor Jonathan McCautry, please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Call at 318-658-6216. Email us at deliverancetodayministries at gmail.com. Write us at P.O. Box 5452, Bossier City, Louisiana, 71171. This is Ruth Ann Thompson at Deliverance Today Ministries, inviting you to join us and become a faithful pledge supporter so we can reach others through this radio ministry. Before we leave the air today, I'd like to make a special appeal for those of you who believe in the power of prayer. Please join us on our Zoom prayer line tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock a.m., Central Standard Time, Zoom number 504-535-3921. There is no ID number. Come and pray with us each day. Good day. God bless you. Deliverance. Right now, you can have deliverance.